Welcome, listeners, to episode 46 of the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast. My name is Kim McCall, and today I bring you a fascinating conversation with the Italian-American inventor, entrepreneur, and consciousness researcher Federico Fagin. Federico was one of the first scientists and inventors to work on the microchip, and he played a crucial role in the development of technology we all rely on today. After years of developing important inventions for large companies, including Intel, Federico founded his own businesses. For anybody with an interest in the history of computing, his new book, Silicon, will be fascinating. For us, of course, it is the second part of that book that is of interest, as Federico eventually had a spontaneous cosmic consciousness experience that shifted his focus from professional productivity to the exploration of consciousness. Given his particular scientific background, it is not surprising that he uses quantum physics to understand the experiences of consciousness that he and many others have had. I personally have had a casual interest in quantum physics. The popular science texts I've read about it are as mind-expanding to me as accounts from interdimensional travelers. But I'm always a bit wary of people in the New Age space who try to apply quantum physics to human consciousness without a proper grounding in the science. This is why I feel very fortunate to be able to have this conversation with someone who definitely knows what he is talking about on the science and who applies this to his own experiences. As Federico himself says, the only way to study consciousness is to experience it. If you want to understand the implications of quantum physics to the study of consciousness and the many altered states that we can experience, this conversation is a good place to start. And if you like playing with different perspectives on life, I encourage you to use the information in this conversation for a little experiment. You can do that by spending a day reminding yourself that you and everyone you meet are conscious quantum systems engaging with the physical dimension through your bodies. So instead of identifying with your body or with some abstract idea of spirit or consciousness, create this new abstract idea which is that you are conscious quantum systems engaging with the physical dimension through your bodies. If you do that experiment, I'd love to hear what results you get, how you feel. You can drop me a note on my Facebook page, Multidimensional Evolution, or via the email on my Multidimensional Evolution website. As always, don't believe in anything, experiment, and have your own experiences. And finally, I'd like to give a shout-out to one of my listeners, Roberto Miller, who connected me with Federico and made this conversation possible. Federico, thank you um, a lot for coming and talking to me. Um, I'm really... Uh, I, I don't normally... Um, uh, the topic of quantum uh, physics kind of comes up in people talking about consciousness from time to time. And uh, I'm always a bit sceptical with some, you know, people who, who, like myself, don't have a real background in physics, let alone quantum physics, who try and combine uh, experiences of consciousness with those frameworks. But to have someone like yeah. yourself who has 
such a solid background in physics and science um, to explain, you know, your understanding of the relationship and how quantum physics can help us understand consciousness is really, it's really a great opportunity. Great. Great. Um, um. Yeah. And look, I, I really, um, this is, there's so much in your, in your book uh, that's interesting to explore, especially from that perspective. And I'd like to start with a, a little passage that really touched me right at the opening page, I think. Um, and then maybe you can talk a bit about, elaborate a bit on that. So I'll just read this passage. Uh, you say, I was born to a new life every time a mental structure made of prejudices, obsolete, obsolete teachings and uncritically accepted beliefs was shattered. And I came out as if freed from prison. I was born to a new life every time my mind, observing from a new point of view, expanded to broader and different understandings. Above all, I was born to a new life when I stopped rationalizing and began listening to my intuition, opening myself to the mystery of my own consciousness. Yeah, you, you, you like to hear more about this? <laughs> yeah, I thought that really, that really touched. Um, it's such a lovely way to encapsulate those moments when we have the experience that life is transformed because we have new understandings, new insights. We, we have shifted something within ourselves. And you've structured your book across yeah. these different stages. And sometimes this comes uh, in my life, uh, this change of paradigm, this change of um, perspective has come sometimes with a experience that was uh, dramatic, as I will tell you later, one of them, or a slow progress where I realized after a while that uh, the ideas that I had absorbed were obsolete. I was, uh, you know, I was, they were no longer valid for me. So my first life, in my book, I speak of my four lives. My first life uh, was being born, growing up, educated in Catholic Italy, um, North Italy, Vicenza was my hometown. And basically absorbing the ethos and the dogmas of uh, the Catholic religion that was dominating the uh, you know, the, the, the mind space of people in those days, of most people. And, uh, um, and so moving away from those was going from first life to the second life. And this happened slowly. And it was cemented by my moving to California in Silicon Valley, where it was a different language, different culture, I was sort of free of an environment that was uh, in some way constricting me uh, and, uh, uh, and was, not, was not allowing me to go beyond a certain level of uh, personal development. And uh, so that was my second life, a life that was uh, essentially of an inventor and uh, developer of uh, technologies and products. And in that life, um, uh, I began to also develop and become more acquainted with my intuition, but only at the level of, uh, 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 you know, of technical things, of inventions, new ideas, but, but intuition is far vaster than that. 
you speak it's a few all... times, uh, Frederick, you speak a few times of in your book of certain, you know, you're stuck with a certain problem and then you have these flashes of insight of how to solve them. Yeah, and certainly that, you know, it has been throughout my life, this uh, capacity that uh, clearly doesn't come from my mind. It doesn't come from, from my sort of body. It comes from some higher connection of, uh, of solving problem if I keep my mind at it. But I have to keep it not, I have to keep it lightly. I cannot be too obsessed about it. I, I have to sort of almost like ask for it, ask for the answer and be patient for, you know, for receiving the answer as opposed to kind of, you know, uh, insisting on it. If I insist on it, uh, uh, I want it right away, I need it. Uh, that sense of, uh, you know, of, of uh, uh, not being, not letting, letting things work out the way they want to work out uh, is generally uh, works against me as opposed to solving my problem. And that must be, a, there must be a bit of an art to, I imagine there's a bit of an art to that because I'm thinking about some of those descriptions of how you're working like 80, 90 hour weeks focused on these projects and i i imagine you were obsessing at times right so did you develop is this something that you kind of experimented with or played with do you remember that and um well in, in those days uh, I, you see I, I one of the good things about my life is that no matter when i always was moved by passion and by excitement and, and enthusiasm about what i was doing uh, partly because uh, i accepted uh, what life brought me, uh, uh, the opportunities, and also made, you know, made lemonade of lemons when things didn't, you know, when life <laughs> brought something that wasn't, that wasn't quite good, uh, you know, still I, I accepted it and I moved on, you know. Uh, so so uh, that passion gave me less stress because I, I, I you know, I was I was, it was not performing. I was simply acting out what I felt good about it, what I wanted to do, and so that that gave me uh, that gave me a certain uh, connection with my soul in some way. Yeah. Uh, where, whereas you know, mentally, uh, the the teachings of uh, religions and also the teachings of science had constrained me, you know, within boxes of of mental schema that uh, I had to overcome and, and I did that uh, in, in my following, uh, following uh, uh, three lives and I'm still doing it because, you know, we never, <laughs> we, we die with more, <laughs> more yeah. to do. But, but in, in any event, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the next step for me was to move beyond the idea of, uh, you know, that, that, science and, and rationality can answer all the questions of men. And that came uh, with my move to becoming an entrepreneur. You know, when you are an entrepreneur, you're not solving technical problems, which are well-posed problems for which there are technical solutions. And, and you can arrive at with intuition and with, uh, with mental rationality. Uh, but, you know, if uh, you had to make, make a decision uh, of what product to develop today, uh, that is based on knowing what the market will be three to five years from now, 
Well, who's going to give you the answer? Certainly not the rationality. <laughs> the rationality can give you an answer if you start with assumptions that have to come from the intuitive mind mm. that are close enough to what is going to happen. And so, so intuition now moves way beyond the boundaries of rationality, way beyond the boundary of science. Uh, uh, and, and so, so that, that area of development, plus the development of what I call the belly, which is the center of action, the center of uh, courage, the center of being able to make uh, risky decisions. When you are an entrepreneur, you have to learn how to do that and live with the consequences of it. So that that was the so the character of my of my uh, third life. And then in the middle of my third life, I had an extraordinary experience of consciousness that uh, awoke me to the most important prejudice of all which is that I was my body. And all of a sudden, with that, with that uh, new experience, I realized that, that I was the world. <laughs> I, was, I was the world, but a very special kind of world because I was the world with a point of view, which is my point of view mm -hmm. on the world. And so I was the world observing itself with my point of view, the point of view of my identity, which is a... I mean that, that's a that's a that's a uh, mind blowing experience, and I'll so maybe tell you in a second. Could, like, could you break that? Could you break that down, Frederica, for us? Can you kind of talk about talk about that experience, how it came about, and and provide a bit more? Um, yeah, I, I can do that because that that's sort of so uh, so important uh, for what happened next about the following thirty years. That experience set my life essentially. I was you know I could no longer. Uh, be the same person. So yeah. that was this was a case where you know one minute changed my life for the better, not for the worse. Sometimes one minute changes your life because it you know a brick falls in your head. But yeah. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, look, and so, I think I think a lot of people listening to this podcast probably can relate to those kinds of having some kind of experience that uh, uh, yeah forces us to to just completely reconsider how we perceive life. And our place in it. So it's, yeah, it would be like a near-death experience. You know, one of those uh, extraordinary experiences that uh, then, when you when you realize what happened, uh, it, it, they change they change your perspective. So uh, basically, uh, this happened uh, in 1990. Was uh, I was in uh, in Tahoe, Lake Tahoe is a is a uh, in the Sierras uh, skiing with the family during, during the the, the uh, Christmas holiday, uh, and uh, and one night I woke up uh, um, uh, midnight. I was thirsty, and so I went to get a glass of water. Then I went back to bed, and uh, as I was, you know, trying to get to sleep, but I was, you know, just quietly quieting down. And all of a sudden, I feel this unbelievable rush of energy coming out of my chest, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, one, one and a half foot wide. And is is a love so intense, so unbelievably powerful, mixed with joy, with peace, with a sense of, you know, of, of being home. This, this is me. This is, this is who I am. You know, this kind of energy, I, I, that, I mean, I, I'm a person that can love, but I, I, you know, this was thousands of times stronger than any love that I ever felt before. And so, and this made of 
scintillating white light, and then it explodes, and all of a sudden, everything is filled with this energy that feels the same way. And now, now I realize that this is me. You know, I, I'm looking at the world, and the world is made of this stuff that can is I, can white, I, scintillating. Can I just ask where you, where were, where, how did you experience yourself at the time? Like, were you still experiencing yourself lying in bed? Yeah, I was lying in bed trying to, trying to fall asleep, right? You know, just to be, just, you know, having gotten a glass of water and went back to bed to go back to sleep. So that, that was, so I was in that quiet, in in that quiet, uh, it was not, I was not yet in the hypnagogic state. It was before, you know, before reaching the hypnagogic state. But, uh, but, you know, but just quietly, you know, just uh, settling down to go back to sleep, you know, which is where I came from <laughs> in the, you know, one, two minutes before. So, so. Uh, and and when, you, so you was, when you're talking about seeing those white lights, you know, emanating from you or, or all around you, was that a, an in, a sense of an interior, like a, in your mind's eye or did you seem like you're looking at the room and you were seeing this everywhere? No, I, it, it was, you know, I mean, in the beginning, it was coming from my chest, right? So it was, it was something that was emanating from me, which is the most extraordinary thing because how can I be a source of love? I mean, I, I had never conceived myself as a source of love, but especially a love so powerful and so, so brilliant and so incredible. So, so, you know, so that, that was already astonishing but but then the, the, this then this thing exploded and all of a sudden is everywhere the, you know and i get the sense that this is what the universe is made of i mean the, yeah. this is actually more than the sense at one point I, I i i you know the thought came this is this is it this is this stuff for which everything is made i mean this is you know and and uh, uh and, and so and as i was thinking that i was that so, so the, the sense of me, not, not, not a thought, the sense of me was, that is me. Yes, and so it's a real dissolving of, dissolving of yeah. uh, the ego identity, would you say? Absolutely, but, 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 you know, but at the same time, there is a deeper identity, which is not the ego identity, which is your, your real identity. Yeah. Because, you know, there is an idea, for example, later on, I mean, I didn't know anything about this stuff uh, at that time, but... But there is an idea in Buddhism that uh, basically the identity dissolves in, you know, the sea of consciousness, blah, blah, blah. But I don't believe so. I mean, and also there are, there are many other people that had experiences that believe like I do, that uh, identity is something that uh, it, once you get it, you keep it forever. You know, it keeps on changing, like, uh, you know, it keeps on growing, it keeps on developing. But, but it is that point of view about, about the whole is something that is unique to any, I call now satis, you know, the, 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 a self which is a self in itself. And, and that, that nature uh, is, uh, is fundamental, has to, has to be that way, because otherwise, otherwise, you know, we dissolve into, you know, we, we, lose, we, we lose the point of view because, you know, Every reality depends on the point of view in which you experience reality. So one, the totality of what exists, has to have many different points of view. They are all points of view of one. And I'm one point of view of one. And there are gazillions point of views of one. And so and any, any self, any satiety, 
is a point of view of one. That's the you know what I, the way I can say it now. Of course, in, you know, yeah. when this happened, it was completely you know blowing my mind because yeah. because uh, you know such an experience was absolutely contrary to my most you know the, the, the deepest way that I conceive myself as separate from the world. All of a sudden, I am the world observing itself. I mean, this is this is really. I mean, a, 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 talk about a mind job. <laughs> you know? So, well, so, in the way but, that just the other, happens. the other thing, the other thing important before I move on, the other thing important is that that uh, the every level of me was sort of with this experience was part of this experience my physical body was vibrating so it's almost like almost like every cell in my body was part of this experience yeah. so i i was you know my body was kind of almost hot you know vibrating and and then my emotions was love peace joy you know this unbelievable you know emo- strong but subtle not only strong but subtle in in so powerful profound emotions so feelings that again i never had with this intensity before my mind was clear this is what everything is made of so how, how more do you need to know this is what everything is made of this stuff this energy that, that feels like love this peace is home is you know and then and then for the first time and if what people call a spiritual experience which is a unity of experience something that that makes you feel like you are the you know you are united with the totality of what exists you are a you know inseparable part of one mm-hmm. so this you know this all these things were together in this experience and so so uh, you know this fact reinforces you know uh, incredibly the sense that every you know every aspect of this experience was reinforced by the other three and so you know so the physical was reinforced by the mental by the you know the emotional and the spiritual and so on so so you know so you 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 know that this is much stronger sense of knowing than any sense of knowing that logic alone can give you and as yeah. being a, a physicist mathematician you know you think that the only way that you get to the truth is through logic but logic can only solve certain classes of problems cannot solve all the problems and of course that you know the beginning of that how to say that disenchantment that logic is uh, is it uh, was part of this experience so yeah. so you know so this experience then led me to a period of searching for you know try to understand try to understand the experience yeah But I'm curious, so, I'm just yeah. curious, Federico, um, a bit more about that. So, you you know, you're on this ski holiday, you had your family, you're probably lying, I'm assuming you were lying next to your wife when you're having this experience. Um, yes. And, and your family, your kids were there. What happened? Did you share? Did you wake her up? Were you like, this is, how did you share this experience? And that's a very difficult thing to put into words to... Um, Uh, no, I, I kept it. I kept it to myself because it, it was too much. I mean, I, also, I, I, I had to. I had to. I would say to 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 in, you know to you had to make sense before before I would say anything. You had to make sense to me. You know what what 
what am I going to say? You know, did she, I would scare her to think that I'm, you know, I'm going out of my mind or something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's very common. You know, so, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it, it is so extraordinary that, uh, that only, you know, in fact, only the last few years I've sort of come out and, and talk about this stuff because uh, uh, publicly, but also before very few people knew about my experience because, you know, it's not that kind of stuff that you want to talk about uh, when people think that uh, that's a sign that, of mental disease or something. Yes. So, uh, so, and of course, uh, right now, I consider myself much, uh, much clearer of mind than I've ever been, uh, you know, also able to grasp concepts that before were difficult for me to grasp. So, if anything, my mind is sharper and uh, and and uh, more alert and 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 more in in some way can reaches deeper than ever so and i'm almost 80 so so, so you know uh, i have more energy than when i was 40 so i mean how can how can this be wrong <laughs> 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 and uh, and and I'm also curious because um, I had a I had a similar experience quite a many many years ago now as well. And but one of the repercussions I had from that that for maybe for another week or two weeks, I I was felt deeply altered. You know, I felt really at peace. I always had this this sense of the sense of connection that I experienced during that experience kind of lingered for a while, and then gradually it yeah. faded and. Yeah. So was that like that for you? Like, was the rest of your skiing holiday? Were you were you in a blissful state, or were you a bit panicked or a bit worried after? You know? No, 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 no. I was, I, I was, uh, no, no. The, the the contrary. I, you know, I, I was, I, you know, if, you know, for the first time, I actually had this sense of what it means to be at ease, mm. because you know, in fact, I, you know, I never knew before that there was all this attention in me. Yeah. And and that that minute that it took, I, I don't, I'm just saying a minute just because I don't know because it, there is no sense of time. But but it was a short experience. But the, you know, in that short experience, uh, I I I was relaxed to a way that I never was because I've always been driven and you know getting this thing done and so on and you know always my eye into the future, always putting you know putting the the satisfaction later when after I have accomplished first, you know, all, all this kind of stuff, which is part of the, the, the you know, Western ethos. And, and so, uh, so, you know, I never experienced that, that sense of being at home that, that I'm fine. I don't have to do anything to be fine. You know, it's almost like I've been running all my life trying to reach something to be fine because I, I guess I had the original sin or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, so that, that kind of, you know, that kind of, uh, uh, that kind of uh, sense was uh, for a short period of time basically went away and but went away enough to realize that there was something there that i, I was not aware that i had mm -hmm. which was this natural restlessness and tension and uh, almost a bit of anxiety and you know and I, and I had to accomplish and you know this driven kind of stuff that was in me but but i only understood very little of this understood that that there is a different way of being and uh, and so i stay with that kind of you know sense uh, 
but I, I realized that I had to do a lot of personal work to understand what was really the me before and, and you know, to, to have it, to find out uh, what was going on. And, and, and so I went through a process of about 20 years of working on myself uh, with, uh, you know, uh, uh, transpersonal psychology with uh, uh, different courses, different, uh, different ways of, you know, and I had, I would say hundreds of different extraordinary experiences of consciousness through that process. And by the way, never through drugs, always, you know, always, uh, always spontaneous, always something that came in some ways as a response to what I was doing, my questioning, my, my desire to know and so on. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so, um, so that, that, so, so, and then that takes, takes us about, you know, 10 years ago, those 20 years, uh, after 20, 20 years of working and trying to understand also consciousness, but mostly concentrated on working on myself, trying to understand it experientially as opposed to intellectually. What kind of, so you mentioned transpersonal psychology. Um, did you, did you kind of look at things like out of body experience, um, do any practices around that or different meditation techniques or what kind of, um, yeah, well, I, I, I I did all of all, all of the above, <laughs> but but again, they were. For example, uh, you know, I think it was probably perhaps two years, you know, after this uh, awakening experience that I mentioned. Uh, I, I had uh, a, a couple of spontaneous out of body experience, and then uh, and then I had uh, then I had some partial out of body experiences. For example, waking up in the middle of the night and a portion of my body is out of body and the other portion is inside my body, which is kind of, you know, a, a funny feeling, just like a phantom limb. But yeah. in this case, it was a phantom half body. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, so, so those experiences that, again, uh, help me understand that consciousness is not even close to to what is made to be you know how, how can you how can you have this kind of experience uh, uh if consciousness is is you know what the brain does come on so so anyway so um uh, so generally my studies they follow my experiences as opposed to most people do the other way around they, they read about it and then they want to experience what they read about it in my case, it was just the other way around. So, uh, for example, I didn't even know that people could go out of body because this whole area of, of sort of spirituality and, and uh, personal development in this, in this sense uh, was, was not interesting. You know, I had no interest in I, I did not dislike it, but I, I, I had no interest. So, so, um, so, uh, so then I started reading books, and so I found that lo and behold, many people had out-of-body experiences. And and, and, uh, and, and and sometimes, you know, if uh, for the out-of-body, I try to, I try to, you know, to follow some of the, some of the uh, uh, techniques that were described in, so in, in some of these books. And, but I, I was never able to do it. And I, I kind of, lo- I, I don't want to, I don't want to make things happen. You know, I, I want to, I want to basically uh, follow follow what is natural to me and so so i you know i i try for a while but you know maybe you know a month or you know and, and this i you know it didn't happen so i gave up you know that, that it, but but that's it i mean i 
Not, not that I have to make it happen, so, but I know that I, I know what they are and I know what they happen and know what it means to be out of body. Mm. And that's what is important. Uh, you know, in other words, I'm not interested in voyeurism, you know, in, in having experiences for experiences sake. I'm interested in understanding. And so the, my experiences are illuminating the fundamental differences between what we think about reality and what reality actually is as revealed by those experiences. So I'm a little different than most people that write about spirituality by, you know, sort of summarizing books that they've read and things of that sort. You know, I come from experience and what I say is, you know, and what I'm trying to, I would say, reconcile is science and spirituality by bringing in my knowledge of science and especially quantum science, quantum physics, because quantum physics is actually not understood partly because we do not want to understand it because he's telling us that reality is not what we would like it to be. Yeah. We would like reality to be dependable and predictable. And reality is not that way. Reality, the real quantum physics is telling us, is a continuing becoming, is not yet written. It is not. We make that reality by making free will decisions. So this is so different then scientists think about reality. In fact, Einstein was the, was the, the ultimate realist. He, he thought that reality had to be there already. And so, you know, like you watch a movie, uh, the movie is already, you know, because if reality is deterministic, you know, whether you, you know, whether the, the movie is made by a computer that runs a program, it is still, you know, it is still containing the program. So, so it is whatever rolls out of the algorithm, which is reality. But that's not the way it works. And if you understand really what, what the deep quantum physics is saying, especially quantum information, which is the last 20 years of quantum physics, mm. then you understand that, that physics, you know, physical reality is, is, you know, doesn't work that way. And physical reality depends on the reality of the quantum reality, which is where our consciousness lays. This, we are, you know, our consciousness is not in this space-time. Our consciousness is in, the, in, in what quantum physics call Hilbert space. That's, you know, so, that's simply the mathematics that would describe the space in which we actually have our experiences. It's an n-dimensional space, many dimensions, and it can only be described with, with uh, complex numbers, numbers which are, have a real part and an imaginary part. So what happens then... What is an imaginary is, part of a number? Uh, uh, an imaginary part is made by the square root of minus one. It's called I. And it, is, it, is, it cannot be a real number because any, any, if you square a number you always have a positive number. So it's impossible to have in, with real numbers, with numbers that we use all, you know, every day, a square root of a negative number. Right. But these kind of numbers appear in the solutions, for example, of, uh, you know, of even as simple equations as a quadratic equation. So, so you have to, you know, if you assume then that a quadratic equation always have uh, you know, two solutions, 
then you have to introduce also the concept of, of imaginary number and complex numbers, which are real plus imaginary. Uh, so A plus IB, uh, where, where if you square, if you, if, you, if you do A plus IB times A minus IB, you, you achieve A square plus B square, which is like the, the, the length of the modulus of a vector. So, so they are useful, they, they have been considered useful in, uh, you know, for all kinds of engineering and, 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 uh, and, and science uh, uh, problems. Uh, but, you know, and they have a history uh, that, uh, you know, people question their reality. I actually think that uh, the imaginary part of a, of a complex number may refer to the interiority of reality, where the real part is the exteriority. <laughs> so, so, and the, and, and so, you know, so that in some ways, that's why, that's why, uh, you have to have, uh, you know, uh, you have to when you speak about quantum reality, uh, where where consciousness also is part of this quantum reality, is not part of this physical reality in space time. Yeah. Uh, uh, th there is a there is the so called collapse of the wave function to go to from quantum reality to physical reality, because in quantum reality uh, systems, quantum systems are in superposition. And they are also connected in, in ways that are impossible with, uh, with, with the classical systems. The, the, the type of connection uh, that occurs in, in quantum information, in quantum physics, is called entanglement. Is a, is a, is a... Frederick, let me just, let me just break, try and... Because I definitely want to talk about entanglement, but I, I just um, maybe want to break this down because I, I mean, I know I struggle with maths, numbers, you know, it's really... And just to help people keep track of um, where where we're going, I just wanted to. One question is: You had your experiences. Did you then reach out to quantum physics as a way of trying to uh, match your scientific mind with the experiences, or was that already a field you had been, had an interest in? Well, uh, no, I, stu I study quantum physics, uh, not to the level that uh, that is needed to understand what I'm talking about now, but, uh, but in the first 20 years, I, I wasn't concerned at all about uh, having a theory of consciousness. So, so I was only uh, interested in exploring the nature of consciousness uh, since uh, the nature of consciousness is experience uh, and experience is a personal affair. Uh, the only way to study consciousness is to experience within yourself because my experience is unique, yours is unique and private. And so the only way was to do that. And, but it was only after 20 years that I decided that consciousness could not be explained by the physics that I knew, uh, not even quantum physics at that time. Uh, but as, you know, as a minimum, it would require quantum physics. So that was the sort of the sense right. that I had about 10 years ago yeah. when I decided that that's it, I want to, I want to now you know, have a theory, a model that allows to combine science and spirituality into a single discipline where science acknowledges that reality has an inner and an outer reality, an inner semantic reality and an outer symbolic reality or, or informational reality. And so, now, so right this, now, so the yeah. semantic reality uh, is. Um, 
the thoughts, the feelings that we're experiencing that are triggering yes. reactions and yeah. actions right. in the body that is the external reality. Is that yeah, the, the, the semantic reality, reality is, is this the, the reality of, of the experience, which is basically the capacity of consciousness to know and to understand and and to live to live an experience to live to you know in in other words consciousness allows us to go beyond the superficial capacity of the rational process to understand you know the understanding that you get by living something is much deeper than what you get simply by uh, you know, rational process. Even the rational process, however, is based on concepts which are uh, that, that come through the intuitive mind. Those concepts are the ones that you then call axioms, which are decided as part of a theory. They are decided to be right, even if you you know true, even if you cannot demonstrate it, because you can you cannot. You have to start with some axioms that you take you take as true. And then every every other statement that you make based on those axioms have to be shown to be true logically on the basis of the truth, assumed truth of the axioms or, or postulates. So, so logic, you know, mathematics and physics works on, in this axiomatic way. And uh, uh, but the axioms they come from intuition. They come from the ability to picture within your consciousness, some truths, some comprehensions of the world, which you then, you know, cast in a language that, uh, you know, is logical enough and precise enough, which is the, la the language of mathematics, that allows then to create mathematical structures that can serve as models or theories of reality. But reality goes beyond a theory of reality. Most people are confused here. Even scientists, they think that a theory of reality is reality. No, reality goes way beyond the theory of reality. And, and how do you get reality? By living it. With, with your, and consciousness is what allows you to live reality, to be reality by living it. So you Although it's, in interesting, it. Um, it's interesting that just like our theories of reality um, are always just partial, right? We always seem to, and we're discovering new aspects. Um, I guess so our experiences are too, right? Like you, your reality was a certain way and then you had that moment and then suddenly your reality was altered. And who is to know how many times it will alter again, right? Oh, oh absolutely, absolutely. But, 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 but it is exactly through the experience that you also find that your theory of reality is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So experience comes first. It's my point. Yeah. Not logic comes first, and that's the problem with with science and math mathematics. Is okay because mathematics is an intellectual game. So you can decide the certain things the way you define them are true, and then you see where you go, which is perfectly fine. But but mathematics doesn't claim that they are describing a real world. They are describing a world which is made of objects that are mental objects with certain characteristics, not only, but they are mental objects with, which are supposed to obey the logical, the, the, the logic of, you know, of uh, the Aristotelian logic, which is the sort of the first order logic. But 
Quantum physics doesn't obey the first order logic. In fact, quantum physics, you know, tells you that an electron is both a particle and a wave. How, how, how more contradictory can that be? Mm. You see? So, so you know, uh, so uh, quantum physics sort of shows you that the, the kind of the neat reality, which is the classical, re- the, the, the reality of classical physics, deterministic, materialistic, reductionistic reality that we are taught at school, is not real. That's yeah. actually less real than quantum, fi- quantum theory, which does not describe reality. Quantum physics describes what we can know about reality only tells you what we can know about reality. Why? If you ask why, the answer is because the reality in the future is not yet there. So you cannot be known because we do not live in a deterministic world. So, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, seems, it sounds silly almost, right? But, but why do we resist this? Because we psychologically, we do not want a reality that we cannot control. We, we basically this type of reality that I'm talking about is, is you know most people don't feel comfortable because they don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if it is predictable, they know what's going to happen. If if they know more than you, then they know more than you to control you. <laughs> well, and I think that's I mean there's many uh, many aspects perhaps to why we control things but I think say with science when you talk about experience comes before science right there's many instances for example near death experiences out of body experiences where there is scientists that are continuously trying to explain away the experience right where they're saying well it can't have been you can't possibly have been separate from the physical body so there must be some other some other um causes for this so this this struggle between experience and model is uh, really strong in this space oh absolutely yeah yeah and uh and and, and, uh, and also you know we, we continues continuously discover new things that upset the cards so to speak you know uh, 50 years ago we thought that we understood uh uh, uh reality quite well with the standard model of physics uh, which uh, you know which describe all the various fields uh, uh, quantum fields and, and on it goes and then you know in, in the last 50 years we discovered that uh, the reality made of the matter and energy that we knew uh, is is only five percent of, of what we now believe reality to be because we discover what is called dark energy and dark matter. So dark matter is about uh, you know twenty uh, percent uh, roughly of the of the of the twenty five percent of the of the of the uh, total matter of the universe. And uh, and dark energy is about eighty uh, percent. Uh, sorry, sorry, seventy uh, percent. So that makes ninety five percent. So five percent is left for the matter in energy that we thought was all there was. So that alone tells you, you know, how uh, how our theories of reality only allow us to discover how much how much reality surpasses our theory of realities and forces us to have new theories of reality and uh, and and sort of never catch up in some way 
uh, because we always discover new things that we didn't know before. Yeah. And uh, uh, so why? Because reality in the model that I have, in the theory that I have, is creative. And create creativity simply means that you cannot know anything about this new creation before the creation has occurred, just like free will. You cannot know my decision until I made my decision, whether you like it or not. Nobody in the universe, if we are free entities with free will, we, my decision, my real decision will not be known until I make it. Until that moment. Now, on that question of, of um, free will, um, I guess there are uh, scientific models or scientists, um, you know, who, who believe that this is it's an illusion, right? That well, um, I, I, we... well, most physicists, most scientists believe that uh, we don't have free will. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and if reality was class, classical reality, the reality of Newtonian physics, uh, the reality of uh, Maxwellian uh, electromagnetism, uh, you know, that reality is truly deterministic. So in that case, they would be right. There is no free will if the reality was that way. But the classical reality is a simplification of a deeper reality, which is quantum. And it is that reality which has free will and has consciousness. And so, so you know, the, to claim that, but that, that then quantum physics only describes the, the small world, but it doesn't matter when, you know, at our scale, because quant classical physics describes our scale of objects is actually ridiculous because, because no matter how you look at that, classical physics derives from quantum. And so is, it is an approximation of quantum. So that approximation simply cancels out cancels out at our scale certain uh, effects of certain of certain uh, free will mm. uh, it appears to be it appears it appears that a free will doesn't exist but only because we don't understand what's going on you know so if 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 classical if if quantum physics uh, can only is only epistemic in other words can only tell us what we can know about reality why, why is it epistemic instead of being describing ontology? Because, because there is no way, at least not that we know today, or I don't think perhaps even ever, because if we have free will, we cannot know what the future will, will hold. Yeah. Because, you know, if you have creativity, true creativity, you cannot know what you know, you know, tomorrow we would, could have a new universe emerging from the middle of this universe. Well, well, who knows? So, you know, the, the idea that we have to control reality is really, a, 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 which is really a human uh, problem, human prejudice, uh, is actually what, uh, what in, inhibits us, impedes us to understand quantum physics. We don't understand it because we don't want it, yeah. not because we're not small enough. We don't want it away. We want it different. <laughs> it sounds a bit like a stubborn child. <laughs> That's absolutely I'd, right. I'd, I'd like to read <laughs> a, a. I'd like to read a, another passage from your book that relates to to what we're just talking about now. Yeah? Um, if we postulate that consciousness and free will are irreducible properties of nature, then it is clear that they must be quantum properties of certain quantum systems. 
since free will cannot be a property of deterministic classical systems, which you just uh, reiterated. In this view, the physical body could then be controlled by a conscious quantum system that communicates with it, since the body is a complex quantum classical system. If this hypothesis proves correct, the real self is the conscious quantum system that controls the body. So this is a, this is a I mean, the sense I got from, from reading that part of your, when you talk about the model, which in fact really reminded me of kind of reading, I don't know, kind of mystical texts in a way, right? This, this, because you're talking about these levels of reality and, and aspects beyond the, the self and making us really expand our consciousness to, to wrap, wrap ourselves around that. But is that there is, well, the, the way I understood it is that there are these, these conscious quantum systems which uh, I, I get the sense are not fully comprehensible beyond that they exist in some form, um, that there are innumerable of them in the quantum realm that, inter that are us, right, that, that currently manifest through the body. So consciousness is such a quantum system interacting with the physical body. Is, yeah. Yeah? Would that be, that's kind of the, yeah. the idea? Yeah. Yeah, basically, basically, the, our consciousness and free will are not properties of the body, not properties yeah. of the brain. So you give that VR, our, that our virtual body, reality. Our body is actually, our body, in fact, you know, and so when our body dies, our consciousness does not die. Our consciousness doesn't exist in the body. It's not in the body. So that's how you explain the fact that, uh, for example, when, uh, you know, when uh, the, the near-death experience, when people, the body is clinically dead and, uh, you know, it stays dead for an hour or two as, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, cryogenically operated on and blah, blah, blah. And people have an extraordinary experience of consciousness in which they actually see the this world because they are up in this you know in the ceiling and they look down at uh, their body being operated upon and 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 they you know they can report on what actually happened later on but then they find themselves into a different environment where they 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 meet people that are you know their parents that are dead say or friends that are dead and they have you know incredible experiences expansive experiences which similar to mine then change their life you know when they when they you know when they wake up in the recovery room after the operation because they survived the the, the ordeal uh, these people you know these people you know have, have you know find that that experience changed their life so so again how can a brain that doesn't give any signals create an experience that changes your life for the better not for the worse that beats anybody that has good sense to, to, to think about it. And this is not the experience of a person. This is the experience of hundreds of thousands of people in, around the world because now these type of operations are rather frequent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I interviewed a man uh, for this podcast who'd had a very dramatic near-death experiences. And he, his, he, exactly as you say, his life was fundamentally transformed. He came back with artistic and musical skills he didn't have before. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, there's like a new person, really. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so you know that 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 is you know validating. Of course, it's not it's not a proof. You know, the, you know, the proof, the sort of the 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 proof of science is you know requires much harder than what I'm just saying. But man, if you if you if you if you discard it just because uh, you, you you don't want to hear what's this type of stories. 
when there are, as I said, hundreds of thousands of people that have st similar stories, I mean, that then means that you, you know, that you don't even want to look there. Uh, that's what, you know, which is what happens in most, in most cases. The point is that, uh, uh, you know, our, you know, our consciousness cannot exist in the classical body because the classical body is uh, the body, you know, the way the body interacts and so on. While the cells are quantum classical, the body is classical. And, uh, and so it cannot host the consciousness because consciousness requires privacy and any classical information can be copied. Privacy cannot, you know, my experience is unique to me. When and you say privacy, you mean individuality, yeah? uniqueness? No, no, what I mean privacy is that you, you cannot know my experience and I cannot know yours. Right. I mean, I can know what you tell me about your experience, but that's not your experience. That is simply your description of your experience, which if I have something similar to yours, I may have a similar experience to yours, but certainly not yours. Yeah. In other words, uh, you know, the qualia experience that you have and the, so the meaning that you get on that experience is yours and yours alone. And, you know, so, so that requires a type of information that is not copyable. It's not clonable. And that is exactly what quantum information is. You cannot copy quantum information. Mm. So that, that's the strongest evidence that quantum physics is needed to explain the nature of consciousness. Now, I have if, a... A computer, if a computer could be conscious, you could create two, two identical computers that should be conscious the same way because yeah. bits can be copied. Yeah. Okay, so the, the strongest, the strongest, uh, of, of the strongest objection and essentially falsification of the idea that computers can be conscious is that computers are classical and bits can be copied, where quantum bits cannot be copied. Quantum bits can only, at the most, be give you two, a, a single bit of information, zero or one. What about and even that? And even that is probabilistic. Now, I don't know the, I actually have no idea about the technical specifications of this, but I've heard people talk about quantum computers. Is that something yes. that somehow quantum relates computers, to this? Quantum, see, quantum computers cannot be, quantum computers may be able, may be conscious, okay, based on the theory that, uh, that I'm discussing, which I developed with uh, a pro professor of physics that uh, is a world authority on quantum uh, information. Uh, it's, uh, it's called uh, Giacomo Mario, Mauro Dariano, is uh, the head of the uh, quantum the, of, of the physics uh, theoretical physics group of University of Pavia, and uh, and uh, he he is the one that has shown that quantum physics derives entirely from six postulates that are purely informational, and the same happens for classical physics, but there is. Classical physics can be developed with five of those six postulates. The sixth postulate is the postulate of entanglement, which is the fundamental difference between classical physics and quantum physics. And so, so, so entanglement is the capacity of quantum bits. A quantum bit is inf an infinity of states that can be described as points on the surface of a sphere where you know, where a bit is simply zero or one, a quantum bit is any point 
will be a direction in space, in three-dimensional space, will be a direction of a vector in space, which would could point in any kind of, you know, in a, a unit vector, so of length one. And so it could point in any point of the surface of a sphere. The sphere is called block sphere. So, so the the so a quantum bit cannot be copied. All that you can do if you want to know a to know a, the, the the direction of a quantum bit, you first of all you have to set the direction of a field, the, the magnetic field, and then you can measure that direction. And you will always find with a with a certain probability, you know, when you measure, you can only find one or zero. And if you measure electrons which are prepared in the same way, you find the probability that you get one or zero. And typically, the probability that you get one or zero is 50%. So 50% of those electrons that are prepared in the same way have spin up or direction up. The other 50% have direction down. I, I mean, the thing, of, the concept of entanglement intrigues me from an experiential point of view, right? Because I'm curious. Um, uh, I wonder whether that provides a, an explanation for this, the experience that we can have um, when you are energetically, I'll use that word in the sort of, uh, I guess, in a I could say spiritual way, but it's an experiential way for me. Um, in an energetic, when you're energetically connected with another person who might be on the other side of the world and you uh, have... You know, I mean, the most obvious one that people have perhaps is when you think about a person, they'll call you and then they call you, um, yeah. you know, an hour later or five minutes later or, or even within the next day. You hadn't thought about this person for ages, but you do. And then there's this physical connection is established or sometimes even more strongly actually feeling. And that's where I was thinking about you were saying how quantum realities are, are private um, and we can't know what each other is experiencing. But there are brief moments, I, I think, that I've certainly experienced where I am, I, I literally feel like I am experiencing another person's reality temporarily, usually through when I'm doing sort of meditative kind of exercises or, or I do techniques I tend to generally call energy work, um, moving yeah. the energetic body with other people. And you, you sometimes have these moments and I just entanglement seems like a good word because it sometimes feels like I'm getting entangled with the other person, with their emotions, with their thoughts, with their physical, even, you know, like the, their t tastes or feelings of hunger or anything like that. Yeah. And so it, I was, it, it, I've wondered whether, you know, entanglement in quantum physics <clears throat> might be something that could explain those kinds of experiences. Yeah, I, I think it's the only way that those experiences could be explained. Still, it's still, you know, we still need some work to be able to to explain the mechanism. But uh, let me let me say this: within the theory that we have developed, uh, this theory is not in the book. And the book simply hints at it uh, because it wasn't completed yet. Uh, but uh, but it, it, it will there will be a book coming out with a chapter of with a uh, this theory that uh, we made, uh, uh, Dariano and I. And so, so within this theory, uh, if two entities, if two entities, conscious entities interact, and of course this, this interaction has to occur within the quantum realm, the quantum realm, but this interaction in the quantum realm may have a correlate in an interaction between you and your friend. 
Yeah. Because it would be your consciousness, which is in the quantum world, and the consciousness of a friend, which is in the quantum world. The consciousness is in the quantum world. The body is in space-time, in this reality. Okay? Then, then your, if you have a deep communication, uh, it would be like an entangling the two of you. And then what happened is that you create, essentially, a, a third entity which combines you and the other person and you lost connection of yourself. A temporar- but then you temporarily, can yes, or... temporarily, temporarily, but then you can regain your, your connect, your, yourself again. So that is actually explained in our model, in our theory. Right. So, so the, the, you know, any, any quantum communication at the, at the quantum level, entangles the entities that communicate. Any interaction is an entangling interaction and a communication is an entanglement. So, so you, you end up, and also what entanglement explains, which is the difference between comprehension, the comprehension that only consciousness can give you and the sort of uh, the, the imitation comprehension, which is what a computer does when it finds correlations between data, okay? We understand because we connect, we connect uh, meanings and this connection can only occur with it via entanglement. And, and entanglement is, is if, you know, because, because a, you know, any experience, any experience as a, as, in, as an informational correlate, which is quantum information. And so when you comprehend more, you connect more information in some ways in the, in the physical correlate. And that, in that con- those connections are quantum connections. You share states with qubits. The qubits interacting share some states, which are, which are uh, you know, that sharing is so strong that, 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 that even if you then separate the qubits and they are separated, uh, you know, they will be separated physically, uh, you know, say one here and one to the moon, when you measure one, when one is tested or, or known, the other one instantly takes the value that was correlated with it, right. independent of the distance, which means that it, it would violate you know, it would violate uh, relativity, special relativity, where no influence could move faster than the speed of light. Yeah. So, so that is what that is what uh, uh, entanglement does. Uh, entanglement does essentially explains can explain all of the extraordinary characteristics. Even more, entanglement explains why the sum of the parts. In, in a quantum systems can be more than the sum of the parts. Where in a classical system, the sum of the parts, it, it, there is, the whole is simply the sum of the parts. There is no whole that is independent from the sum of the parts. In a, take, let's take a computer, right? A computer, computer basically is hardware and software, the, the sort of the, what moves the computer, the, what, what makes you know, gives life to the computer is the software. And the software is simply a sum of algorithms. Each algorithm interacts with other algorithms and, uh, and the, sum of, the, the sum of the algorithms is one algorithm 
which completely describes the behavior of this computer, completely describes it, which means that there cannot be a whole that can affect the parts because the parts and their interaction by themselves describe the totality of this computer. So there cannot be there cannot be a whole that can change the behavior of the computer. Yeah. But but our consciousness and our free will can change my behavior, my parts, all my cells can be affected by the decision of my conscious self. But this can happen only if my conscious self is not a physical thing in my body, because if because my body will be like a computer. And they couldn't exist a whole that is more than the sum of the parts. So, I mean, that sounds sounds very convincing to me, right? It sounds compelling. Um, But in terms of how science works, um, you know, what would be required for, for your model to become something where I mean, I'm not sure how you how you've advanced with this. Like you've you've worked, you've collaborated with your colleague um, in advancing sort of a, a theory and a, or a model. Um, how would that become accepted? You know, what would it take for for scientists to go? Well, this actually is um, just like I don't know, like like Einstein's theory became accepted, and people went, "Well, we can't really prove it right now, but that seems to that seems to be the best way to capture everything." Yeah. Uh, you know, to be accepted, we this theory uh, would have to make pred- a prediction, or more than one, but at least one prediction that is testable and that falsify the current beliefs. So, you know, it, it will be a crucial experiment that tells you that this theory prove you know, this theory predicts this event to happen this way. But the other theory, the conventional theory, the conventional way of thinking predicts the opposite or, you know, doesn't predict that way, predicts a different way. So then you can test, you can make an experiment and the winner is the one that matches the result of the experiment. So, and and that, you know, in the case of Einstein, the, you know, general relativity that came out in 2015, sorry, 1915, uh, uh, was uh, was uh, a, a, you know was really kind of was too far too difficult to be accepted and uh, but then uh, you know then in 2019 so four years later there was a, an eclipse that uh, would allow to test whether the speed whether the light was deflected by the gravitational force of the sun and it was a famous experiment that uh, proved that. Einstein theory was correct. And so uh, it, it may take four years, or it may take uh, 40 years uh, to test our, our, our theory. Uh, Would you have something in mind? Would you have well, a, for an example, experiment in mind? Well, we, we, we have some ideas, but it, they're still not uh, close enough. But, but the, you know, I, I should say that this would be like 2015, you know, will be the, the, the uh, in 1915, <laughs> in the sense that uh, we, we are just publishing. It's not even, uh, you know, it's not even published yet in uh, in the final form. Uh, is only on a preprint basis, and so we, we haven't even, you know, published our art, our, our, our theory yet. So yeah. it will take a while before ourselves and others 
you know, there will be others that we believe like us that may be smarter than us to figure out, a, a, you know, a, 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 a prediction and in, in how to how to test the prediction. Sometimes the problem is not to make, a, you know, to imagine a, a test is that the test has to be done with the technology that we have. For example, when Einstein uh, was uh, consider consider uh, entanglement an impossible property uh, of reality, and was you know and was against quantum physics because it was yeah, entanglement was the culprit. Uh, this happened in a paper that he published in 1935. Nobody pay attention to that paper to speak of because uh, well you know you can, we cannot test this so who cares you know it took it took actually 50 years before we could test because you had to test you know single particles in order to, to be able to do that and the technology in 1935 did not allow this to happen but in uh, eight, you know in 1982 or 83 uh, aspect uh, you know a french uh, scientist actually gave the first experiment that proved that entanglement actually exists and then most physicists were upset because they really wanted reality to be like Einstein wanted, which is, you know, reality is real, it's always there and so on and so forth. And, uh, uh, and so they, there were a, a lot of uh, objections about it and objections over objections. It took until 2014. So it took, it took another uh, 30, 30 years, essentially, uh, bef- uh, uh, yeah, uh, 30 years before all the loopholes that were thrown by, by other physicists on the original, on the various experiments were covered so that now only since 2014, essentially pretty much all physicists agree now that entanglement exists. So here was a journey of 80 years before entanglement was admitted as a property of quantum systems and quantum right. physics. And I so guess given consciousness, consciousness could be even more fought over because I mean people don't people don't want consciousness to be more than just a property of the brain. Yeah, it exactly. changes the entire narrative of, of reality. If yeah. consciousness exists as a quantum phenomenon, the story that we tell each other about how reality is changes completely. Yeah. I mean, because consciousness may, you know, consciousness has to be the creator of this reality in some way, in some form. So, I mean, this will be fought tooth and nail, I think, but we have to find the truth. And if it takes 100 years, it takes 100 years. Yeah. And who knows, maybe because we do seem to be in an, in an era of acceleration, right, of, of progress and uh, technological advancement and understanding and so on. So maybe it won't take so long. Yeah. Well, no, we, we may be lucky and, and find some, uh, you know, and, and come up with some ideas of experiments which are feasible and they are so compelling that, uh, you, know, uh, pe- you know, the scientists will have to capitulate and accept that reality is not what they thought. And, yeah. and that would be the best outcome that, that you know, I, mean, I would say that something like this, the best that I can think of would be 10 years from now, that they would have enough accumulated evidence that uh, you know, to to get most people, uh, you know, uh, accepting that consciousness is a quantum phenomenon and only a quantum phenomenon. Well, I really look forward to watching that over the next ten years. I mean, it's it sounds like um, 
I, I do get quite excited when I see science stepping into this direction and really touching on something that, you know, is experiential for many of us. Uh, you know, there's kind of overlaps with, um, I guess, uh, old beliefs around the reality of consciousness and consciousness being fundamental to physical reality. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think your work is really exciting. I think is the only hope we have as, uh, you know, as a, as a society to find a way to work together. There is, there is no other hope. I mean, science and Darwinian theory simply, you know, paint a picture of the world which is meaningless and, and harsh. And, and basically, the, you know, the stronger survives. I mean, that is not the kind of world that this theory will describe. This kind of world is made of cooperation, is made of, you know, of love and empathy and, and working for the good of all because we are part holes. We are not separate. So <laughs> when you say that, you know, accepting this means accepting logically that we cannot go to war. We have to actually find another way to solve our problems. Well, it, it seems to mathematically prove that we are all one, right? That's essentially what you're what you're saying, right? Well, I mean, already quantum physics is uh, telling us that reality is holistic, is not reductionistic, like like classical physics would have it. Um, so that is already an established fact. Fact, but but you know, but then there is no idea that i mean basically consciousness emerged in the last uh, you know million years of, of evolution for most people so so you know where if consciousness is what created this universe i mean <laughs> talk about little change you know all of a sudden consciousness you know it basically consciousness becomes the center of reality like uh, the sun became the center of the Copernican revolution and, uh, you know, and, and the earth uh, lost its, you know, lost its, uh, <laughs> its burial. <laughs> and, and, and this way, basically, instead of matter being at the center of reality, now it would be consciousness. And that would change dramatically how we think of ourselves and how we think of reality. And, you know, and, and ultimately, if, what, if we think our ideas you know, our ideas change our reality. It's not the other way around. We, 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 we always think that it's the other way around, but in fact, uh, look at any creation starts with the mind. It does not start with matter. It starts with the mind. Yeah. Federico, I think that's a great note on which to end it. I love the vision of the conciocentric society that we're striving towards. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for talking to me about your work. My pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a positive review on iTunes and share it on social media to help others find it. You can get more information about today's guest in the show notes for this episode, including any links to their work and their contact details. This podcast is a labor of love. If you want to support me and get some practical info, for your own exploration of consciousness, you can purchase my book, Multidimensional Evolution, from Amazon or other online bookshops. If you want to support your local bookstore, which I encourage, you will have to order it in. 
You can find some reviews of the book on my website, multidimensionalevolution.com, where you can also read my blog, which covers all manner of consciousness-related topics. Finally, please get in touch via email or on the Multidimensional Evolution Facebook page. Whether it is to ask questions, share experiences, or suggest guests and topics, I always love hearing from people, as I believe it is through sharing with each other that we can all grow together. Until then, or until you tune in again, I'm sending you my very best energies. And the tune seeing us out is from the Finnish artist Axel Tesla. It's called Akasha.